Asmodeus is the god of indulgence. He is master of the Nine Hells and a relatively new god to the Faeronian pantheon. Though he is a tremendously powerful entity with a mythical past that has spawned differing origins. I'm Ben Dignan, and welcome once again to Religion in the Realms. This episode is going to be somewhat different. Much is written about Asmodeus from a broad perspective that encompasses the breadth of D&D canon, with the Forgotten Realms included at times. There is much to say about Asmodeus himself, Devils, and the Nine Hells, less so about his cults and faith in the realms. This stems from Asmodeus' emergence into the Faerunian pantheon during the 4th edition era. Far less material has been published during the 4th edition and 5th edition era compared to what came out in both 2nd and 3rd edition. The bulk of what we know about Face in the Forgotten Realms come from 2nd edition and 3rd edition sources. I do mention what little is out there, bringing in material from non-setting specific sourcebooks to provide inspiration or help fill in some gaps. But when talking about Asmodeus' faith, it is going to be far leaner than any other episode so far. You may see that I have combined some sections that are separated in other episodes. Some sections are omitted since I do not have any information to fill them with. Another quick point. I will often say Nine Hells or Beator. For those newer to all things devils, these two names are interchangeably used to refer to the same outer plane where both Devils and Asmodeus reside. Titles Asmodeus goes by the following titles. Lord of Lies, King of the Nine Hells, the Lord of the Ninth, the Cloven Old Hoof and Horn, Risen God of Evil, and Prince of Nessus. Portfolio and Domains Asmodeus holds the portfolio of Indulgence. His suggested domains for 5th edition are knowledge and trickery. The order domain is attributed to him in Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, though it is not attributed to him in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Appearance and Manifestations Asmodeus is commonly described as an attractive or the most attractive devil. Second edition's Guide to Hell describes Asmodeus' avatar as a towering devil with human-like qualities. Attractive, well-dressed, well-groomed, and with smaller horns. Each avatar carries Asmodeus' symbol of rulership, the ruby rod. Third edition's Book of Vile Darkness continues with a similar depiction. He stands 13 feet tall with beautiful skin and hair. His eyes are red and alight with infernal power. Atop his head is a pair of subdued red horns. Each set of clothing he wears is said to be valued at that of a whole kingdom's annual expenditure. Of course, he carries his ruby rod with him. 3.5's Fiendish Codex 2, Tyrants of the Nine Hells, which I will shorten to just Tyrants of the Nine Hells going forward, echoes similar aspects of Asmodeus' appearance. A red-skinned, small-horned, richly-dressed archfiend who looks more human than he does fiend. Though I would say Asmodeus' art, especially in the last two mentioned source books, do not depict 
the archfiend with small or subdued horns. Unique to the description in Tyrants of the Nine Hells is mention of the wounds borne by Asmodeus that have never healed since he was thrown down from his former divine realm to the lowest level of Beator. Asmodeus is in continuous pain from these wounds that still bleed, though he hides this pain under layers of a forceful personality. His favorite weapon is the ruby rod. From the early days of the hobby going forward, Asmodeus always has wielded this artifact. Different powers have been ascribed to it as well. First edition's Monster Manual tells how the ruby rod holds the abilities of a rod of absorption. Touching the end of the rod deals significant damage. It is capable of shooting out elemental effects of lightning, acid, or frost akin to a dragon's breath. 3.5's Tyrants of the Nine Hells describes the ruby rod in exacting detail, including the magical abilities attributed to it. I have left that particular description to the magic item part of the DM options section found towards the end of the episode. Asmodeus may grant a particularly devout and strong adherent the use of the ruby rod temporarily. Though whether the Lord of the Nine is handing over the real rod or just a reduced but still greatly powerful copy of the rod is not immediately apparent. The manifestations of gods in the Faerunian pantheon are given in both 2nd edition and 3rd edition sources. During the publication of those editions, Asmodeus was not considered part of the Faerunian pantheon. So unlike all the other gods I've covered, he was not attributed manifestations or creatures that convey messages or fulfill tasks on a god's behalf. That being said, Asmodeus would make use of any devil to communicate his approval, disapproval, or aid his mortal followers. I would add to the list other fiends such as Cambians, Succubi, or Incubi, Hellhounds, Rakshasas, and Nightmares. Abilities According to the 5th edition Monster Manual, Asmodeus holds the rank of a lesser god. The Monster Manual claims that he is the only one to bear this rank in the Nine Hells. This is an oversight. Uh, Tiamat herself layers in the Nine Hells after all. Over the years of D&D publication, Asmodeus has had a few stat blocks. Sometimes he has even been attributed divine ranks. Asmodeus's first stat block can be found in 1st edition's Monster Manual. As noted in the later published Deities and Demigods and Legends of Lore, both from 1st edition, Asmodeus among his fellow archdevils should, quote, be treated as lesser gods, though they very rarely have human worshippers. 2nd edition's Guide to Hell states that Asmodeus is a greater power, just that he isn't capable of granting spells nor has any clergy under him. Guide to Hell presents Asmodeus as one of the twin serpents, a tale we will get to in a bit. As one of the twin serpents, he was a tremendously powerful entity who helped to define universal truths and laws for the multiverse. Despite his current form, Asmodeus had the power of a greater deity that predated the concept of worship and belief. As such, he still retained that status. Unable to grant spells and lacking a traditional priesthood and clerics, he has avoided the suspicion and attention of deities who later came into existence. His avatar has a stat block in Guide to Hell. Asmodeus is unwilling to reveal his true serpentine form, which resides in the bowels of Nessus which is the last layer of the Nine Hells. 
Instead, Asmodeus may manifest up to 10 avatars all at once across the Nine Hells to deal directly with his lessers and any other issue that arises. With 10 avatars, Asmodeus can address each of the nine layers of the Hells all at once while holding one avatar back in reserve. He can manifest one avatar on the Prime Material at a time. However, in order to do so, he must dismiss all other avatars on the Nine Hells. Since this leaves him vulnerable, Asmodeus tasks Servitors on the Prime Material to do his bidding. Asmodeus' avatar has an Aura of Awe that radiates out to 120 feet. Any within that aura must make the requisite save before attempting an attack on the avatar. The avatar is capable of summoning one greater or two lesser devils per round without fail. Of course, Asmodeus' avatar has a full roster of spells to select from. The avatar is immune to all spells below 4th level, poison, paralyzation, petrification, illusions, and enchantments. Only weapons that hold a plus 4 or above enchantment can even harm Asmodeus' avatar. The Ruby Rod, as described in Guide to Hell, afflicts a substantial degree of physical damage when striking a creature. As mentioned earlier, the Ruby Rod has the capabilities of a Rod of Absorption, able to take in up to 25 spell levels per day. Innate to the Rod is the ability to cast Cone of Cold, Acidic Blast, and Lightning Bolt as if cast by a 25th level wizard. Stepping into 3rd edition in 3.5, Asmodeus is devoid of any divine status, though 3rd edition's Manual of the Plains points out that he may hold divine power. 3rd edition's Book of Vile Darkness has a stat block for Asmodeus. He has two unique gaze abilities. The first gaze works much like a slow spell. The other is a fear gaze that both frightens and deals strength damage. He also can magically enchant someone to submit to his will. Asmodeus in the stat block also has a large roster of spells that are both innate to him and come from the diabolic and evil domains. Asmodeus also benefits from the usual abilities attributed to devils like telepathy and the ability to see even through magical darkness. 3.5's Tyrants of the Nine Hells explains that Asmodeus can cast magic anywhere within the Nine Hells. As his history will show, he can shape his Archdukes and the other devils below them to his own whim. Also, he can reshape any of the Nine Layers to his own desires. Asmodeus can demote and promote any devil, though he alone can raise a devil up to the rank of an Archdevil. Any cult dedicated to any other Archduke or devil is by proxy dedicated to Asmodeus given his station over all devils. Another ability possessed by Asmodeus, mentioned in Dragon Issue 91, is his ability to modify the true name of all devils. With this ability, Asmodeus can readily exile devils from the Nine Hells. Personal History In folks, fair warning, this is going to be a long section. Asmodeus' origins are conflicting to say the least. Setting aside any real-world reasons as to why this happened, I like to think Asmodeus is emboldened by the idea that no one is quite certain what his origins are. 3rd edition's Book of Vile Darkness mentions that there are murmurings that the Nine Hells were ruled by entities even before Asmodeus. This book names Lucifer and Satan outright, though we will touch on a being later who is known to us concretely to predate Asmodeus. The first origin story of Asmodeus comes from 2nd edition's Guide to Hell. 
Through the whirling chaos that announced the beginning of existence, the planes and deities began to arise. A conflict burgeoned between these new powers, those who desired order to be formed from the primordial essences around them, law, and those who reveled in the unpredictability of it all, versus chaos. Two of Law's chief champions were known as the Twin Serpents, Jazirian and Aramon. Jazirian was an entity of good, Aramon an entity of evil. Despite their conflicting alignments, they still worked well together. These serpents created the First Ring. This First Ring formed the borders of what is now the Outlands. Then falling into place around the Outlands were the respective Outer Plains. From there, the Twin Serpents defined more cosmic laws of the universe, including the Rule of Threes. Disagreement became conflict when Jazirian and Aramon argued about what should form the center of the universe. The Outlands would be the ideal, however Jazirian favored Mount Celestia and Aramon favored Beator. These two were coiled together and each strained in the direction of their preferred plane. Eventually, the strain became too much. Jazirian, with her tail ripped off, flew up to Mount Celestia. Each drop of blood from her birthed a quaddle. Aramon had no wings and plummeted down to Beator. He bled as well from the fight, and each drop of his blood birthed the first devils. These devils Aramon claimed as his own. Aramon and Jazirian became greatly diminished as the rest of the gods rose in their vacancy and the first pantheons were formed. As eons passed, Aramon changed his name to Asmodeus, since many of the entities and powers that existed in the primordial era have since perished, few know of Asmodeus's true origin. Now Asmodeus's true serpentine form winds its way throughout the lowest levels of Nessus, the public face of Asmodeus, if you could call it that, is the attractive humanoid devil who is just one of several avatars manifested to interface with the rest of the Hells. As a result, this avatar form is incorrectly thought to be Asmodeus's true form. Moving along is an account of the creation of devils that come from ancient Yugoloth texts. This story comes from the second edition's Planescape sourcebook called Hellbound, The Blood War. It is then repeated in Dragon issue 417 from the 4th edition era with some minor differences. Through an artifact called the Heart of Darkness, all sources of law and chaos were removed from the Yugoloths. These elements were instead placed into the larvae that littered the outer plane of Hades. The Yugoloths then dropped off these mutated larvae respectively in the Abyss and Beator. From these larvae sprang forth the first demons and devils. Eventually, among the first devils and demons emerged the demon princes and infernal archdukes. Hellbound does mention that this is a legend from the Yugoloths and, of course, devils and demons have their own accounts and legends. Hellbound has an extensive timeline of the Blood War, which conflicts with its current and later depictions throughout D&D's publication. Referring to a more current source, the last legend given in Hellbound is immediately conflicting with the account given in the 5th edition Monster Manual. The 5th edition Monster Manual claims that Asmodeus was the one who ordered the creation of the Yugoloths by a coven of night hags on Gehenna, a fighting force created from the ground up to add to his side in the Blood War. 
The Yugoloths were controlled via four powerful tomes called the Books of Keeping, within which were written each of the Yugoloths' true names. The Coven of Night Hags fell to infighting, and the Books of Keeping were scattered to various corners of the multiverse. Going forward, the Yugoloths were free to shape their own destiny. Another well-known tale of Asmodeus and the Nine Hells is the tale of the Pact Primeval. This story is found in 3.5's Tyrants of the Nine Hells. Funny thing is that while introducing the Pact Primeval tale, the sourcebook makes a nod towards the tale of the Twin Serpent. The introduction also states that the Pact Primeval tale often changes the personas of the gods presented in the tale to fit the story, as it is told on differing primaterial worlds with their own pantheons. The constant persona, though, is Asmodeus and those devils who emerged under his rule. Chaos was what existed before anything else. From it came the demons, a pure embodiment of this chaos. The universe began to manifest something to combat the chaos. Horses and deities who wielded law. The lawful deities fought the battle with the demons all the while developing new laws and standards to bring structure and understanding into the universe. Eons passed, and the lawful powers came to the conclusion that the demons were an infinite contagion. The gods turned to the creation of worlds and creatures alike. To fight in their stead were the newly created angels. Emerging from the angels was the mighty Asmodeus, both a great slayer of demons and a worthy leader. As the war raged on for ages, Asmodeus and his fellow angels began to manifest their own fiendish traits because of their constant contact with demons. The lawful powers began to worry and eventually wished for Asmodeus's banishment. Thus, Asmodeus would be brought to trial for the first time to present him with the decision for banishment. During this trial, Asmodeus proved that he had done what was asked of him. He and the angels stayed within the laws dictated to him by the powers of law, and indeed, he had combated the demons successfully. Unable to condemn him on any grounds, the gods of law allowed Asmodeus and his host to avoid banishment for now. Asmodeus and his host would continue to battle the demons. Further evil seeped into them and warped them to a further fiendish countenance. The gods of law continued creating worlds, and the demons managed to invade those spaces as well. Asmodeus and his host were called on many more times to help fight off the demonic hordes on these nascent worlds. To the dismay of the gods of law, they realized that some other humanoid creations were allied with the demons. These humanoids were then finding different ways of letting demons in from the abyss. Asmodeus chastised the gods of law, saying, If you give these people free will, some will inevitably choose the freedom the demons entice them with. What mortals needed was a reminder of what happens when they broke the laws set out by the gods. Punishment. Asmodeus presented the embodiment of punishment to the gods in the form of a sword. A further delineation of alignment occurred as entities broke not with one another on a basis of chaos and law, but now good and evil. The non-evil gods sent out their divine servants and clerics to warn mortals of punishment should they follow evil practices and beings. As souls passed on, some of them still bore the taint of evil despite the efforts of the non-evil gods. Asmodeus and his hosts set about their duty of punishing the sinners in the divine realms. 
At this time, Mephistopheles and Despater are mentioned as members of Asmodeus's company. The gods no longer tolerate the methods and cries of the punished in their divine realms and brought Asmodeus in for trial once again. Asmodeus argued in this trial that he was fulfilling his duty to punish to the letter of the law. The gods again found no error in his argument and defense. Asmodeus offered a proposal. Out among the outer plains, he pointed to Beator. He proposed that this was where a hell for the punished was to be founded under his stead. Bearing the ruby rod for the first time in this tale, he manifested a document, a binding pact. This pact laid out that Asmodeus and his followers no longer would draw on the powers of the gods. Rather, they drew their power from those souls damned to this new realm. The gods of law signed this document which came to be known as the Pact Primeval. Asmodeus and his host, these dark angels now called the Aranes, came to Beator. In ages to come, the nine hells were shaped. The gods of law began to notice a drop in the number of souls who made it to their divine realms. They soon learned that several humanoids were tempted to follow the way of the devils. The gods of law would approach Asmodeus for a third time, now down on Beator. There they saw how souls were harvested to eventually become new devils to fill Asmodeus's ranks. Upon accusing Asmodeus of abusing the pack primeval to his own ends, Asmodeus simply smiled and told this deific host to read the fine print of the pact primeval. Later in Tyrants of the Nine Hells, you learn that Asmodeus did not part on peaceful terms from the gods as mentioned in the Pact Primeval story. Rather, he was cast down from the Divine Realms to Beator. At this time, either Asmodeus had already begun forming Beator's shape from a distance, only to then be cast out, or that his fall down to the lowest layers of Beator created the Nine Layers as they exist presently. Just as in other stories, it was this fall that caused Asmodeus' everlasting wounds, the earth and rock tearing at his flesh as he broke through. The most recent origin story is presented in 4th edition. Much like the Pact Primeval story, Asmodeus was formerly an archangel. He was tasked along with other archangels to guard the prison of Thrizdun. Pazuzu, one of the oldest demon princes, reached Thrizdun's prison. Pazuzu had designs on achieving greater power for himself and came to this prison to enact his plan. Pazuzu tempted and criticized Asmodeus, and pointed out how the god Asmodeus served had rewarded an angel as powerful as Asmodeus with a task beneath him. A seed of doubt and pride had been residing in Asmodeus already. Pazuzu's words only accelerated Asmodeus's downfall. While on guard, Asmodeus heard the tempting whispers of the Shard of Evil. Asmodeus flew down into the heart of the Abyss and took a shard from the heart of the chaotic evil plane. Asmodeus then formed it into his ruby rod, or a ruby-tipped spear depending on which variant of the story you are reading. Returning to the god he served, Asmodeus killed them with this newly forged weapon. Asmodeus and the host who he commanded were locked in the dominion of this now-deceased god. As eons passed, Asmodeus grew to become a god himself, and the dominion became the Nine Hells. Seizing this piece of the abyss appears to be the impetus for the blood war in this tale. Asmodeus desires the rest of the abyss's heart so he can control the demons. 
The demons want the ruby rod so they can return the missing shard to the Abyss's heart. Further information is provided for this tale in Dragon 365. A tome called The Codex of Betrayal was penned by one brother, Yulo, allegedly the last person to have served the god Asmodeus killed. The Codex is separated into four major sections, which document the Nine Hells and information on all varieties of devils. The pages of the Codex are separated and spread across various archives, collections, and libraries. At one time, the name of the god Asmodeus killed was committed to the pages of the Codex. They were then later scraped off and were replaced with one of two titles, quote, He who was, or he who once led our way. Scholars are unsure whether it was Yulo who scraped off the names, or some later person. Presented in 3.5's Elder Evils is the tale of Zargon. If you recall at the beginning of the section of the podcast, there is mention that entities even preceded Asmodeus and his devils in the Nine Hells. These creatures were called the Baetorians. They were ruled by an entity known as Zargon. Asmodeus and his infernal host either destroyed or enslaved the Baetorians as they stole Baetor for the devils. Try as he might, Asmodeus could not outright destroy Zargon. Asmodeus was able to destroy Zargon's body, but Zargon's horn proved indestructible. Asmodeus separated the horn from Zargon's body and flung it into the primaterial plane, where it would land upon a prime world. Zargon would eventually reform and bring a human kingdom to heal as they worshipped Zargon as a god. Asmodeus could not abide the re-emergence of Zargon. Asmodeus arrived in this world and imprisoned Zargon within stone, though Zargon's horn protruded up and out of the stone. Asmodeus also buried Zargon's followers alive under stone and earth. Echoing shades of the Pack Primeval story is the tale of the trial of Asmodeus from 5th edition's Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes. This tale is said to be based on a play written by an Asimar bard. In eons past, devils and demons even then were locked in the Blood War. Outraged by what they saw as crimes committed by Asmodeus and his ilk, deities of Mount Celestia listed charges against Asmodeus. Rather than ignore this, Asmodeus saw it as his right to answer these charges. Primus, patron god of the Modrons, was chosen as arbiter in this trial given his impartiality. Asmodeus argued that he and his devils always held to the letter of the law when claiming souls for the Nine Hells. If people came searching out the help of devils, that was on them. What's more, the souls claimed were often turned into legions of devils to fight in the Blood War. Without the devils keeping up the fight, the demons long ago would have claimed the cosmos. Now it was the turn of the angels to testify against Asmodeus. Testification from the angels dragged out, stretching over days. Primus eventually mandated that only a few more angels would be able to testify. A headstrong angel by the name of Zariel attempted to reach the head of the line. This led to a scuffle between the angels. Primus had seen enough and chastised the angels for succumbing to base emotions. He laid no charges against Asmodeus. Rather, Primus gave Asmodeus the ruby rod. The rod was to forever bind Asmodeus to the rule of law. Any devil who goes against the tenets of law is dealt in, quote, an inescapable punishment. As presented in the 4th edition era Dragon 368, Grast, 
One of the demon princes of the Abyss was once an archdevil in service to Asmodeus. Asmodeus tasked Grast with stealing away a shard of evil from the heart of the Abyss. Grast would go on to conquer three layers of the Abyss until he ran up against Orcus and Demogorgon, halting any further progression. Grast eventually swore off his former infernal heritage and took the three conquered layers as his own. There is mention in the 4th edition Manual of the Plains that Grast may be colluding with Asmodeus despite all outward appearances. 5th edition's Tome of Foes posits that Grass took to the Abyss since he was unwilling to be subservient to Asmodeus anymore. The Abyss granted him the authority and freedom he desired. At some point, Asmodeus and his consort, Benzosia, had a daughter named Glacia. The accounts around Glacia's birth are not as concrete as one might think. She alone is Asmodeus's sole child. 5th edition's Tome of Foes states that some sages even speculate that Asmodeus' alleged daughter is instead a powerful entity that he was able to corrupt, much like Asmodeus did with Zariel later on. As some of you may know, Levistus, current Archduke of Stygia, the fifth layer Beator, has been locked in ice for eons. This stems from his murder of Asmodeus' consort Bensosia. Bensosia... Glacia and their intendant guards were traveling through Stygia when Levistus ambushed them. Levistus took out the guards and tried to sway Benzosia to his side. Benzosia refused Levistus's propositions and in anger Levistus killed her. Asmodeus imprisoned Levistus within ice, never to let him escape. Dragon issue 427 mentions that Levistus was framed for the murder of Benzosia by Asmodeus's constable Martinet, allegedly Levistus had dalliances with both Benzosia and Glacia alike. Eventually, we arrive at the advent of the Reckoning. First mentioned in 2nd edition's A Paladin in Hell, the Reckoning is discussed further in 2nd edition's Guide to Hell and 3rd edition's Book of Vile Darkness with minor additions and changes. Alliances were built up among two major camps of archdevils. First were those in favor of the archdevil Mephistopheles, chiefly backed by Mammon, Geryon, and Despater. Second were those in favor of the archdevil Beelzebul, chiefly backed by Moloch, Belial, and Zariel. This is Zariel as we know her, but her timeline has since been retconned in 5th edition. Asmodeus from the outside appeared to be backed by none of the great archdevils. Asmodeus knew full well about this conspiring and secretly brought Garion over to his side. Unbeknownst to Moloch, Garion was having dalliances with the Hague Countess Malagard, Moloch's then-consort. Garion convinced Malagard to seduce Moloch into supporting Beelzebul's side of the reckoning. When the time for battle over the Hells arose, Garion commanded the pit fiend generals on both sides to turn coat. Now they fought for Asmodeus, and both Mephistopheles and Beelzebul's sides were defeated. Asmodeus had won and reasserted his rule over the Nine Hells. To consolidate his rule, he named the eight pit fiend generals who fought for him the Dark Eight. Rather than seek and destroy or imprison the archdukes who tried to usurp his power, Asmodeus would go on to allow the majority of them to take up residence once more in their former layers still as rulers. Some might say this was a shrewd move on his part. 
In the end, Asmodeus put things where he wanted them to go in Beator. Better to have these archdevils split their attention between rule and aspiration. For all Garion's apparent loyalty, Asmodeus did not reinstate Garion's rule on Stygia, the fifth layer of the Nine Hells. Rather, he placed the frozen Levistus in charge. To this day, Garion continues to feel slighted and broods and loathes Asmodeus for this decision, which allegedly plays right into Asmodeus's hand. Prior to Garion being snubbed by Asmodeus, Garion again had Malgard seduce Moloch into being defiant despite the defeat of his side in the Reckoning. Malagard went along with Garion's plotting, since she saw it as a way to ascend to rule Malboje, sixth layer of Beator. Indeed, Asmodeus deposed Moloch and placed the Hague Countess Malagard in charge. Moloch was then banished to the Prime Material. Beelzebul had his attractive and perfected form turned into a grotesque slug form by Asmodeus. Ever since, this remains Beelzebul's true form. Maman threw himself down in front of Asmodeus, asking for forgiveness. Asmodeus did not depose Maman, but rather changed his form. The former pit fiend body Maman inhabited was changed into a serpentine humanoid hybrid. Mephistopheles received no punishment. Mephistopheles has never hid his ambition to steal the throne away from Asmodeus, and will outright admit it in front of Asmodeus. Unlike the other archdukes who hide their true intents, Asmodeus seems willing to endure Mephistopheles. Belial, then Duke of Phlegethos, the fourth layer, lost his consort when Asmodeus destroyed her in punishment. Fearing further retribution, Belial was quick to put his daughter Fierna on the throne, and ever since, she has ruled Phlegethos. As we have seen, with new additions, revisions to lore arise. In 5th editions, Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, it is mentioned that Levistus was frozen after he won out against Garion and Stygia as they fought their many battles against one another. Moloch also did not have Malagard the Hag Countess as a consort. Rather, Malagard was just Moloch's advisor, but still manipulated him into drawing punishment from Asmodeus. More recent event in Asmodeus's history was finding a suitable role for his daughter, Glacia. Glacia was an annoyance to Asmodeus rebellious and difficult to bring to heel. Asmodeus named Glacia the new Archduke of Malboje. Long after the Reckoning, Malagard was suddenly wracked by unending spasms as the land of Malboje locked her in place. All her lieutenants were crushed by raining boulders. Malagard then began to balloon to an impossible size. To save you the gory details, her body then exploded and much of her flung across the lair to create new landmarks and features. No one is sure who caused Malagar to die. It would be easy to suggest Asmodeus, but you will not find any devil outwardly admitting that. According to 5th edition's Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, the mortal Dwergar, Ladegor, made a deal with Asmodeus. As the leader of Clan Dwergar, Ladegor would help Asmodeus fight Loth's machinations in the Underdark. With this new arrangement, Ladegor was able to revolt and throw off the shackles of his Ilithid masters. There is a Dwergar tale of how Ladegwer traveled down into the Nine Hells to achieve this arrangement, but it's a bit of an unnecessary tangent. Now we finally get to set aside setting neutral stories in source books and turn our attention to the Forgotten Realms. 
In 1354 Dale Reckoning, Zariel, current Archduke of Avernus, which is the first layer of the Nine Hells, arrived in the Nine Hells to do battle with fiends. Again, at this time, she was an archangel. There, those beneath her faced heavy casualties. She had her hand cut off. Captured, she was brought down to Nessus to meet with Asmodeus. Asmodeus saw an opportunity and offered Zariel the rulership of Avernus where she could internally battle demons. Zariel agreed to the offer and became an archdevil. Gargoth is a former demi-power currently imprisoned within the shield of the Hidden Lord. Both the shield and Gargoth have a deep and long history. It's a tangent that we don't need to explore. Gargoth is recognized as a former Archduke of the Nine Hells. Why he left Beator has not been discovered. Though if Gargoth ever stepped foot into Beator, his life would be forfeit. Following the spell plague, either Ladiguer fell or he was imprisoned. In his absence, Asmodeus made inroads into various Dwergar societies, passing himself off as Ladiguer. Asmodeus made the claim that he had been Ladiguer all along. With the second sundering, Ladiguer has made himself apparent once more. On the 13th of Hammer, which is the first month of the insetting calendar of Harptos, in the year 1385 Dale Reckoning, a group of 13 warlocks came together in Asmodeus' name, some voluntarily, some against their will. These 13 came to be known as the Toral 13. This group performed a ritual that caused all tieflings that shared disparate origins to be imbued with Asmodeus' infernal heritage. In other words, if you are a tiefling who formerly had demonic traits or Rakshasa's traits, you are transformed into a tiefling strictly with an Asmodean influence alone. No doubt, this was an event created to shepherd in the change to tieflings seen in 4th edition. Despite this change, Asmodeus didn't have control over the fate of all tieflings going forward. However, this only increased suspicion and concern when encountering tieflings given their association with the Nine Hells. Going forward, other tieflings would emerge bearing the mark of other heritage attributed to other devils rather than strictly Asmodeus. Asmodean tieflings are still the most numerous. The Toral 13 were led by a tiefling woman named Briseis Kakatos, who went by the moniker of the Brimstone Angel. Briseis led this ritual for Asmodeus, amplifying his power and changing a whole race to solely be derived from him. On the 29th of Tarsac, which is the fourth month of the calendar of Harptos, in the year 1385 Dale Reckoning, Sirik, aided by Shar, stole away into a mistress realm of Dwemarhart and murdered the goddess of magic. This had catastrophic consequences both in the plains and across the prime material. Mistress realm ruptured and Azuth was flung down into the Nine Hells. Dying invulnerable, Azuth was thought to be killed and consumed by Asmodeus. Asmodeus achieved godhood once more. Asmodeus, in one fell swoop with his new power, brought the blood war to an end. He forced the abyss into the depths of the elemental chaos. Though with the 4th edition Forgotten Realms using the Great Wheel cosmology and the clear mention of the blood war raging on again in 5th edition sources, it's clear to me that last little tidbit was retconned. In the wake of the vast destruction following the spell plague, many felt abandoned by the gods and left with unanswered prayers and questions. 
Rising up to meet their needs was the nascent Church of Asmodeus, first in the form of burgeoning cults. These cults faced initial challenges in gaining a foothold across Faerun, given their patron god. In 1477 Dale Reckoning, two of the Brimstone Angel's descendants would come to the attention of the Cambian Lorcan, Farida and Havilar. Farida became a warlock who made a pact with Lorcan, though she emerged later as a chosen of Asmodeus, as would her sister Havilar. Their story, as well as Briseis Kakatoses, are told throughout the Brimstone Angel's novel series. In 1486 Dale Reckoning, during the Second Sundering, a group of Chosen, including Farida, were collected in a camp by a Chosen of Shar in the wizard Adalkin Ran. Their goal was to kill and take all the divine energy of these Chosen and give it to Shar. Asmodeus had his own machinations to take all this collected divine energy in the hopes that he could separate from Azuth. That was not the case, as the camp was broken up by Harpers and Thaeans alike. As the Brimstone Angels novel series progresses, Farida receives dreams where Asmodeus periodically appears before her. In these dreams, Asmodeus bore a blue glowing glyph upon his chest, a sign that Azuth was within the Lord of the Nine Hells. Complicating matters was the emergence of a chosen of Azuth, a Cormurian human man by the name of Ilstan Nyaril. Ilstan was afflicted by the ramblings of Azuth and thought Farida to be his enemy. Ilstan believed freeing Azuth from Asmodeus required Ilstan to kill Farida. Azuth was bound inside Asmodeus, and their minds battled one another. Initially, Azuth was silent after Asmodeus subsumed him. As time passed, Azuth began to wake more and more. Sometimes, Azuth's mind would win out over Asmodeus. Azuth would speak to Farida in her dreams, though with Asmodeus's voice. This complicated Farida's interpretations of said dreams. Farida ran into Ilstan a few times, and each time Ilstan would attack Farida. Farida ensured she defended herself, but did not kill Ilstan. Farida learned that Asmodeus was unable to take the divine spark out of Azuth. Rather, it was thought that Asmodeus and Azuth were merging to become one soul god with two powerful minds sharing one divine spark. It was theorized that if this situation was allowed to play out to its end, the two may have merged into one god completely, and likely throw the balance of the Nine Hells, if not the whole multiverse, into turmoil. In 1487 Dale Reckoning, a powerful ritual was devised. The powerful artifacts of Asmodeus, Azuth, Enlil, and the then-deceased Nana Sin were gathered. Why these two last Theric gods are being involved is a tangent, but let's just say there was ongoing events in Time Anther where the Untheric pantheon had reemerged following the Second Sundering. Ilstan held the staff of Azuth. Farida held Asmodeus's ruby rod. Enlil's chosen, Dumezi, held Enlil's javelin. Havilar, Farida's twin sister, held Nanasin's Black Axe of the Moon's champion. Through this ritual, Azuth was separated from Asmodeus and retained his divine spark. The divine spark was then taken from the dead Nana Sin and given to Asmodeus. Nana Sin was resurrected as an immortal but no longer a god. The ritual complete, Asmodeus fulfilled his end of the bargain by sending devils to assist Timanther, who Enlil had sided with against the Untherans in the first. Time Anther Unther War. 
Here at the end of this section, I will give mention to an article in Dragon Issue 28 from 1978 that is called The Politics of Hell. I'm not sure why the changes in leadership of the Hells are framed in this article from our real-world perspective. It's an odd article, but I wanted to give it mention so others can seek it out on their own time. Personality Asmodeus is a lawful evil god an entity who embodies cunning, tyranny, and shrewdness. The plots Asmodeus enacts throughout the Nine Hells and beyond may seem confusing to observers. To outsiders, a move may seem baffling, but Asmodeus has weaved that move into his wide-spanning plans and plots. In the end, the move will end up benefiting him and the Nine Hells. Despite the clear authority and power he exudes, Asmodeus speaks softly, intelligently, and is unfortunately abundantly charismatic. He is self-assured in his status as a being of extreme power. If anything surprises him, he never lets it show, remaining cool and collected on the surface. Asmodeus rarely acts on his own. Rather, he delegates scores of devils and faithful intermediaries to do his bidding. His end goal is to be supreme ruler of the cosmos. His ideal universe is a place where every being is set into their right role in his own infernal hierarchy. He and he alone can achieve this goal. None of his lessers would succeed. Rather, they would fall, succumbing to the demons of the abyss first. The powers of good are hindered by their ideals which would never allow them to succeed against the demons. Personal Realms In the Great Wheel cosmological model used in 1st edition, 2nd edition, and is the assumed default model for 5th edition Forgotten Realms, Asmodeus both rules and resides on the lawful evil outer plane of the Nine Hells. The Nine Hells may be called Beator, the Nine Hells of Beator, the Pit, the Depths of Depravity, or simply just the Hells. I feel like of any of the outer planes, most are likely familiar with the Nine Hells, but I still think an overview is needed for those who are newer to the subject. The Nine Hells is arrayed like a mountain flipped on its head. Then that inverted mountain is split into nine layers horizontally, starting out larger at top and getting smaller as you descend. The layers from the first layer to the ninth are Avernus, Dis, Mineros, Phlegethos, Stygia, Malboge, Maladomini, Cania, and Nessus. An archduke lords over every layer. Asmodeus is the exception as he both is an archduke of Nessus and the lord over all nine layers. The layers have their own unique overarching environments. Some are hot and fiery, some are frigid and unforgiven, some are fetid and foul. The primary inhabitants of Beator are the devils. Devils have their own rigid hierarchy and rank structure, with its, own, with its own exceptions and asides. To go over the hierarchy would take longer than I would like. For now, at the lowest level are the insipid and slow Lemures, who are quite numerous. This is the form petitioners of Asmodeus are most likely to turn into after their souls collected, twisted, tortured, and reduced to this lowly form. The vast majority of Lemurs never ascend to a rank above being claimed by the Blood War, 
or some other infernal activity. At the top of the normal devils, and I put that in quotes, are the pit fiends. Pit fiends exist just below promotion to an archdevil. In the case of a pit fiend named Bell, even they can attain the rank of an archduke of a layer of Beator. From the perspective of 2nd edition's Guide to Hell, Asmodeus held the powers of a god, but he did not need mortals who worshipped him directly. Rather, those who lacked faith and or belief in any god would end up in Beator upon death. Obviously, this detail has been walked back, plus the Forgotten Realms has its own punishment for, the, uh, for these types of individuals out on the fugue plane. The devils do not abide by just any mortal showing up on Beator. Say if you just plane shifted, you are fair game for their violence and possible capture. High-ranking devils may provide you with a writ or letter that provides you with protection, though often your travel is only meant for certain days and certain routes. An archduke may present you with a letter to travel freely on their lair and their lair only. Only Asmodeus can pen a writ that gives free permission across nine hells though he is certain to exclude travel through or to Nessus in such documents. Another defining element of the Nine Hells is the Blood War. This war is an ancient conflict between the Devils of Beator and the Demons of the Abyss. Since time immemorial, these two have fought against one another across all the lower outer planes. Elements of the Blood War do bleed over to the Prime Material from time to time. What kicked off the Blood War is a matter of conflicting lore and differing accounts. In one account, Asmodeus may have started the conflict. Other accounts will tell how devils and demons first fell to skirmishing, while each began scouting the planes in the nascent eras of the cosmos. Many both within and outside the Blood War view it as the ultimate battle to claim dominion over all evil. Asmodeus sees it simply as a frustrating and endless conflict. The Blood War does nothing but bleed resources he could better use elsewhere. Avernus, the first layer of the Nine Hells, is ravaged by constant warfare in this conflict. As a plane of law, a creature must first start on their journey in the Nine Hells on Avernus. From there, they may progress downwards layer by layer until they reach the ninth and last layer of Nessus. As a plane of law, the movement between the layers always transitions from the lowest point on the upper layer to the highest point on the lower layer. Though it is worth ensuring you don't go plummeting from the highest point with no formation or structure to climb down. Gods with no relation to the infernal hierarchy inhabit the Nine Hells by Asmodeus's permission. Tiamat operates on a sort of middle ground having once served as an Archduke of Avernus and now as guardian of the gate down to Dis, the second layer. Then of course she has her own specific infernal fiends who she lords over known as the Abishai. Though Abishai must both obey orders given to them from Tiamat and Asmodeus. After all, Abishai may operate in their own hierarchy, separate from the one the rest of the devils follow, but they are still devils all the same. Tiamat aside, other gods are almost entirely uninvolved in the politics of Beator and the Blood War. Their petitioners arrive in their respective divine realms and take on that realm's specified form, rather than becoming a part of the soul pool of Beator for the devils to use. Identifying Asmodeus's divine realm is a whole other ball game. Unlike other deities, he doesn't just have a realm on one layer of a given plane of existence. 
The Nine Hells are his and his alone, despite what any other Archduke might say. If you could name Asmodeus' realm, though it may be more apt to call it his center of power, it is his palace of Malshim. Malshim is found on the ninth and final layer of the Nine Hells called Nessus. The portal to Nessus is on Cania, the eighth layer. An individual must find an icy pit that is miles deep. Within are numerous ice devils, which are also called Gelagons, defending the portal. Past that, a creature needs to descend through a thousand and one feet of slush down into the portal. Nessus is a barren, rocky landscape with next to no surface activity. Nessus is actually given dimensions in 3.5's Tyrants of the Nine Hells. It is close to being ovoid, spreading 2,500 miles from long edge to long edge, then 1,100 miles from short edge to short edge. It is rather flat, allowing the viewer to see around them for miles, though what they are seeing is just barren desolation. Across all of Nessus is a network of deep fissures in the earth. These fissures vary in their depth from a few hundred feet to allegedly thousands of miles. Some accounts state that the crevices and tunnels, however, are immeasurable. The crevices and canyons wind here and there and often intersect with one another. The few bridges found across the crevices of Nessus are guarded or trapped. Not saying the correct password halfway over a bridge will cause the bridge to give way. This layer experiences vastly different temperatures with intensely hot volcanoes and frigid areas. Waves of fire pass across Nessus occasionally. They operate much like the spell Wall of Fire, though stronger than even that spell is. Devils from other layers of the Nine Hills cannot even teleport into or out of Nessus. Nessus has a unique gemstone within the walls of this layer's rifts. Hellstone, thought to be the strongest gemstone in the multiverse. Within this stone is flickering red light. Hellstone also damages non-evil beings who touch it. The Citadel of Belshim is said to be the largest across the entire multiverse. The Citadel is built in miles in all directions. Esmodeus' personal armies of pit fiends and horn devils operate out of Melshim. Melshim was built by Asmodeus out of stone and Baetorian green steel. Networks of tunnels are built into the trench walls to accommodate the number of fiends. Melshim is so vast that it is unmappable. Only Asmodeus knows its entire layout. Melshim is said to lie at the bottom of the deepest fissure on Nessus. The path to Melshim is known by only those Asmodeus trusts. In some accounts, Asmodeus resides within the palace of Melshim, very rarely leaving. Rather, he passes along his orders and dictates, through his followers or through magic. Melshim is on the shore of an icy lake. This lake seems to have a will of its own, shifting often. Several creatures have fallen down in between the cracks and the ice as a result. This lake is fed by the black waters of the river Leth like the boughs and roots of Yggdrasil, the world tree, or the river Styx, the river Leth is yet one more planar pathway. Consuming or touching the waters of the Leth results in the same effect as touching or drinking from the river Styx, severe memory loss. Contained within Melshim is said to be another planar pathway. This pathway's name is unknown, 
although I imagine Asmodeus knows its identity. This conduit is said to precede even Asmodeus in Beator. Where it leads is not known. It is said that it grants travel to anywhere in the multiverse. It is thought that any evil being, even those as powerful as archdevils and demon princes, will be destroyed outright upon touching whatever this pathway is. Asmodeus is rumored to have built Malshim over this planar conduit so as to disallow its use. Once a year, Asmodeus summons all the other Archdukes of Beator to Malshim. Even the imprisoned Levistus is let loose for this occasion, though what goes on at this gathering is not said. Perhaps it is a reaffirmation of their loyalty to Asmodeus, followed by discussions on the management of the Nine Layers. Tabjari is a fort found on Nessus. Within is found the Pact Primeval itself. It is found along the side of one of Nessus's gorges called Reaper's Canyon. Asmodeus has rigged Tabjari with elaborate and complex traps. He cannot attach devils to protect this copper keep. The Pact Primeval housed in a deep vault radiates a deeply powerful aura that is both harmful to creatures of good and evil. The Pact Primeval holding such a divine energy that can ward off both good and evil defies the principles of the multiverse. Yet this artifact holds this innate property. Instead, Asmodeus has mortal humanoid servitors that help to guard Tabjari. If we follow the tale of the Pact Primeval, each of the strict lawful outer planes hold a copy of the Pact Primeval. The other two copies reside on Mount Celestia and Mechanus. Another landmark on Nessus is called the Serpent's Coils. As far as 2nd edition's Guide to Hell is concerned, Asmodeus did not abandon his form as one of the Twin Serpents. Rather, Asmodeus's true serpentine form winds its way through the coils. In this form, Asmodeus's body is, quote, hundreds of miles long. The serpent's coils form the deepest rifts on Nessus, and this network spirals in on itself over hundreds of miles. The blood of Asmodeus weeps from his unending wounds and collects in pools around the serpent's coils. Rising up from these pools are pit fiends and horned devils on a regular basis. These fill Asmodeus's personal and formidable army of pit fiends and horned devils. These fiends are placed into the Nessian Guard. They patrol and guard Nessus. They pay particular attention to the part of the river Styx that empties out on Nessus. This part is nothing but a trickling stream. Asmodeus keeps these fiends of his out from the battles of the Blood War. 3.5's Tyrant of the Nine Hells describes a few more gorges on Nessus, but I feel describing them is unneeded in an episode already rife with information. At the end of the Serpent's Coils is the citadel called Fortress Nessus. This structure is referred to as Asmodeus's Citadel. Fortress Nessus sits on the edge of the crater where Asmodeus finally crash-landed all those years ago in the mythic past. Inside, it is richly appointed but unoccupied. Asmodeus appears to be not there either. The hallways of this fort seem to go on and on for miles at a time. Muffled sounds can be heard along with the sound of someone weeping. The fortress batters whoever enters with a deep sense of melancholy that is so deep as to temporarily impact the three mental ability scores. 
If you are using the World Tree cosmological model used in 3rd edition Forgotten Realms, Asmodeus resides on the Nine Hells. As you can probably guess, the description of Beator in this cosmology is damn near completely the same as it is in the Great Wheel. One major difference I picked out was that the River Styx is referred to as the River of Blood. The one source says that the River of Blood shares similarities with the River Styx, only for that to be contradicted later and another source from the same era stating the River of Blood is just another name for the River Styx. Within the World Axis cosmological model used for 4th edition, Asmodeus resides on the dominion known as Beator. Rather than the model of the inverted mountain seen in the Great Wheel, the World Axis portrays Beator as a spherical planetoid. Each layer of Beator is said to be a continent lying beneath one another as you move closer and closer to the core. Avernus is the first layer, and seen on the surface. Nessus is the fiery core at the center of Beator. Souls who end up here after their deaths take the form of thin and weak humanoid creatures. From there, the devils may use these damned souls for their own heinous sacrifices, to power infernal constructs, to strengthen their own being, or some may be chosen to be transformed into a lesser devil. The last gift is reserved for those who dutifully serve the goals of the Nine Hells in life. Icy rifts reach from Cania down into the heart of Beator, which is Nessus. Like the core of a planet, Nessus is spherical in this cosmology rather than flat. This layer shares many similarities with its depictions in other models. Though like a planet core, it is rife with unforgiving heat and magma, especially down in its numerous gorges and rifts. Malshim and Tajbari exist in this cosmology as well, though Malshim is a blend of its own description from the Great Wheel mixed with that of the fortress of Nessus. It is an opulent, never-ending palace that also is a garrison. Malshim is riddled with garish and richly appointed hallways, with a powerful ambience of melancholy, while housing multitudes of pit-fiend legions el- elsewhere. Tajbari matches its depiction as before, though it is said to house all sorts of evil lore in the Pact Diabolus, not the Pact Primeval. Some other unique features of Nessus in the World Axis are the chalices of woe, which are rows of hot red metal coffins holding prisoners of Asmodeus in a ruined city, the Sheminar, a secretive city where intelligent infernal creatures perfect all sorts of diabolical arts and rituals, and the firestorms of Nessus, firestorms that occasionally sweep across the lair. Stepping aside from Nessus and going up to Phlegethos, the fourth layer of Beator, here can be found the Lake of Fire. Smack dab in the middle of this layer is this lake of burning pitch. When Asmodeus killed the former god who was his superior in one of Asmodeus's origins, the dying god cursed Asmodeus's forces on this very spot. Asmodeus's fallen angels were consumed by the nascent lake of fire. For eons, several scores of devils who angered Asmodeus have ended up in this lake. The innate fire immunities devils have offers them no protection from the burning pitch of the lake of fire.
allies, and allegiances. Asmodeus and his devils may ally with other lawful evil powers, though no devil bows to any divine being save Asmodeus himself. The perspective given in 3.5's Tyrant of the Nine Hells is that gods have proven time and time again to have less staying power compared to Asmodeus and the devils as a whole. Plus, as far as devils are concerned, they draw their power from the spiritual energy harvested from the damsels of the Nine Hells. They have no need for any other god. Even though Gargoth left the Nine Hells and left his rank of an archduke behind him, he's still said to be allied with Asmodeus. Directly in service to Asmodeus are Adramelech, his chancellor, Alaster, his executioner, Balbareth, his major domo, Martinet, his constable, Fongor, his inquisitor, then Bjor, Bune, Morax, Ramon, and Zegum, who command their own infernal companies. If interested, these powerful devils are given more description in Dragon Issue 76. The Dark Eight are eight pit fiend generals whose chief responsibility is the Blood War. Their origins differ. Second Edition's Paladin in Hell mentions that the Dark Eight were those pit fiends who went turncoat in favor of Asmodeus in the infernal conflict that later sources came to call the Reckoning. Second Edition's Guide to Hell states that Asmodeus created these eight pit fiends solely to command his forces in the Blood War. Four times a year, though how long a year is on the Nine Hells is beyond me, the Dark Eight traveled down to Malshim to report to Asmodeus personally. Their allegiance is to Asmodeus alone, and they have little communication with the other eight archdukes. Enemies Asmodeus has several foes. Chiefly, damn near every devil aspires to climb the infertile hierarchy to eventually usurp Asmodeus' throne. From every imp to the eight other archdukes of the Nine Hells. They conspire, sabotage, and manipulate as devils are wont to do. Devils have and will continue to come to blows, as witnessed in Asmodeus' own past. Not even his own daughter may be counted among his allies. After all, Glacia has equal ambition to take the rule of the Nine Hells for, for herself. Outside the Nine Hells are the Celestials and good aligned powers who stymie and battle Asmodeus' ultimate goal of spreading evil and bringing everyone under his heel. The demons and demon princes are a constant thorn in his side, not only because of the blood war, but because they espouse a type of evil so antithetical to his own. Tiamat has contempt for Asmodeus. Long ago, Asmodeus stripped the rulership of Avernus from her and gave it to Bel. Bel has since lost its position to Zariel. I speculate that Ladguer and Deep Dwera, who are both Dwergar gods, likely hold a strong hatred for Asmodeus. After both these deities perished, Asmodeus passed himself off as a Dwergar god and stole away the worship of many great dwarves. Since both Deep Dwera and Ladguer have reemerged during the Second Sundering, they must be all too aware of Asmodeus' machinations. Symbols In the Faronian pantheon, Asmodeus' faith has one known symbol three inverted triangles arranged in such a way to form one long triangle. The third edition setting agnostic sourcebook, Book of Vile Darkness, mentions Asmodeus' cult used three symbols. First is a clawed fist gripping onto a skull. 
This resembles the top of the ruby rod. Second is an image of the ruby rod itself. Third is an inverted pentagram. Central Dogma from Forgotten Realms Campaign Guide from 4th Edition. Asmodeus is your true master. Obey his commands, absolutely. You can earn special favors by tempting new worshippers into serving Asmodeus. Indulge in the pleasures of life, but do not falter in word or commitment. Presence of the faith and hierarchy and structure of the clergy. Prayers to Asmodeus are said by layfolk for one of two reasons. First, an individual has sinned or transgressed against one of the gods they follow. By praying to Asmodeus, they hope Asmodeus can hide away these sins from the god in question. Thing is, Asmodeus ensures he is paid in full for this service in the afterlife. Second, people often pray to Asmodeus because they desire riches and indulgences of all sorts. Collectively, the clergy of Asmodeus are called the Mordai. According to 3.5's Tyrants of the Nine Hells, Asmodeus typically holds humanoid adherence. Rarely he may find worship among other creatures. Responsibilities and Duties of the Faithful Mordai tempt people by claiming through Asmodeus they can fulfill their desires. The end goal, of course, is the perversion of souls to later be used by powers of the Nine Hells. Asmodean adherents see themselves as masters of their own fate. This also extends past their mortal lives when they go to take a place in the Nine Hells. Here they can achieve greatness for all of eternity. Which, technically yes, they can achieve greatness, only if they survive the nigh-impossible climb of the infernal hierarchy. Asmodeus sells an eternity of pleasure and peace in a place of ambiguity and mystery. Devils make similar offers to those awaiting prolonged judgment in the few playing. Kelenvor has given Asmodeus leave to do so, even before Asmodeus attained godhood. All it takes is a prayer to Asmodeus in the state to draw them away from the colorless fugue plane. Source books from previous editions provide information on Asmodean cults, though this information is presented in setting agnostic books. From 3rd edition's Book of Vile Darkness, most infernal cults are devoted to Asmodeus. Through their devotion to Asmodeus, his devout aim to obtain power and control which Asmodeus has in spades. Much like their patron, they are charismatic figures who often hold positions of authority and power. 3.5's Tyrant of the Nine Hells echoes similar sentiments. The book explains further that the influence obtained by the cult members is used to place one another into positions of authority. Fellow members keep their Asmodean associations among themselves secret as they forge alliances to lift one another up. Asmodeans favor the heavy mace as a weapon in emulation of their patron's ruby rod. Orders and Priestly Bodies The Ashmedai is a cult dedicated to Asmodeus and renowned for their violent acts. They are known as the messengers of the raging fiend. Each member of the Ashmedai has the same symbol branded on their chest. When the Ashmedai first started out, they worked for Sastam and Thay. After some actions on the part of the Thayans, the Ashmedai called this alliance into question. The group would then split into two sects. One sect is loyal to Thay still and zealously devout to Asmodeus. 
the other sect has their claws deep into Neverwinter. The second sect is less devout. Both sects are still on agreeable terms enough to meet with one another. The Asmodei are bound by their own special pact with Asmodeus. Each time they summon a given devil from the Nine Hells, they must then have a devil's essence bind to a creature on the prime material. General Characteristics of Places of Worship Even after a century of being a god, places of worship dedicated to Asmodeus are a rare thing on Faerun. We can use information from setting agnostic sourcebooks, though, to inform what such places may look like. Asmodean cults are found in urban centers. If these settlements are fine with or are in support of the Asmodeans, these temples operate openly. Otherwise, Asmodean places of worship are hidden away, often below ground. Within such places are depictions and symbols attributed to his cult, the clutch skull, the ruby rod, and the inverted pentagram. Temples are well equipped and have several amenities and defenses given the money and wealth the Asmodean cults bring in. Specific Places of Worship The Shrine of Sacrilege was an Asmodean shrine Dwergar built in Gauntelgrim. The Dwergar took sacred shield dwarf tablets and used them to form the floor of this shrine. They desecrated and filled in the words and symbols once carved into the tablets. Symbols of Morden in turn were taken. They were hacked and modified to form the three-pointed triangle, forming Asmodeus's symbol. Devout Dwergar could commune with and summon devils from the shrine. Another temple to Asmodeus isn't found on Faerun, but down in the Nine Hells. It is called the Hall of Infernal Might, and is found along the streets of the city of Dis. Devils don't worship Asmodeus, though damned souls come here to perform their rites and offer their prayers. Character Options For 3rd edition in 3.5, the Diabolist and Disciple of Asmodeus prestige class can be found in the setting agnostic book, Book of Vile Darkness. The Brand of the Nine Hells and Mark of Nessa's feats can be found in the setting agnostic, Tyrants of the Nine Hells. The same book presents cleric options for Asmodeus and the other eight Archdukes in the Nine Hells. Again, Asmodeus was not considered a god in 3.5. He and the devils instead drew their unique divine power from the souls damned to the Nine Hells. With access to divine power, the Archdukes could grant divine abilities and spells to their followers. The Disciple of Darkness feat can be found in the Forgotten Realms specific source book, Champions of Ruin. For 4th edition, the Devil's Pawn character theme can be found in the Neverwinter campaign setting sourcebook. The Infernal Prince character theme can be found in Dragon Magazine issue 406. Next is a breakdown of the features I think someone deeply involved in Asmodeus' faith as an acolyte or otherwise could have as a custom background in 5th edition. For your two skill proficiencies, Deception and Intimidation. For your language or tool proficiencies, Infernal as a language, and then Calligrapher's Supplies. For drawing up contracts and the like. For your equipment, there's the Acolytes from the Player's Handbook as an option, and then the Charlatans as well, which is also in the Player's Handbook. For your background feature, there's the Acolytes Shelter of the Faithful and Charlatans False Identity. Again, both of these are found in the player's handbook. 
The following is just a list of subclasses I think would be thematically appropriate for a NPC or PC to take if they are a worshipper of Asmodeus. For the Bard, there's the College of Whispers from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. For the Cleric, there's the Knowledge, Trickery, and War domain in the Player's Handbook. And then the Order domain, which is found in Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica and Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. For the Paladin, there's the Oath of Conquest found in Xanathar's Guide to Everything. For the Rogue, there's the Mastermind found in Xanathar's Guide to Everything. For the Sorcerer, there's the Divine Soul Sorcerer from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. For the Warlock, there is the Fiend Pact Warlock from the Player's Handbook. And for the Wizard, the School of Conjuration found in the Player's Handbook. Dungeon Master Options To start, i just like to go over creatures who would serve as Medeus and that are found in official 5th edition sources. From the Monster Manual, All the Devils, Cambians, the Incubus and Succubus, Hellhounds, Nightmares, Rakshasas, the Cultist, the Cult Fanatic, Acolyte, and Priest. From Big B's Glory of the Giants, there's the Fire Hellion. In Mordenkind's Tom of Foes, to start, the book provides an optional trait called the Demands of Nessus to add to a creature's stat block. After that, there's the Abishai, Amnizu, Hellfire Engine, Maragon, Narzagon, Nuparibo, and Orthon. All of these can be found also in Mordenkind Presents Monsters of the Multiverse, just with revised stat blocks. From Volo's Guide to Monsters, there is the Warlock of the Fiend. Again, a revised stat block. It's found in Mordenkind Presents Monsters of the Multiverse. Finally, in Mort's Planar Parade, there is the Malafont. Now to touch on some stat blocks for creatures who might serve Asmodeus, which aren't found in official 5th edition sources. The aspect of Asmodeus can be found in 3.5's Tyrant of the Nine Hells. Brazen devils are created from the devils Asmodeus has found to be most loyal to him. Asmodeus takes such high-ranking devils and surgically carves them up and fits them into hell-forged armor. This process also removes any sense of ambition from the devil. All 1001 of these brazen devils is stationed in Melshim. Should one or more fall, Asmodeus will make more to make the number 1001 again. Brazen devils can be found in 4th edition's Manual of the Plains. Nessian Warhounds are a powerful breed of Hellhound. As their name gives away, they are bred in Nessus. They are the size of a draft horse and wear chain barding. They can be found in 3.5's Monster Manual. The branded Zealot and Hellfire Warlock can be found in 4th edition's Neverwinter Campaign Guide. A Fimbral Devil wields deadly cold magic and hails from either Cania or Nessus. A Seared Devil is a charred fiend that resembles a severely burned humanoid. It bashes its body into its opponents, kicking up ash and odor that sickens. Both these devils are found in 4th edition's Neverwinter Campaign Guide. Let's move along to talk about some unique magic items associated with Asmodeus. The pack primeval is described in 3.5's Tyrant of the Nine Hells. Asmodeus took his copy and placed it within a massive ruby. The ruby stands 10 feet high and is 6 feet wide, weighing 20 tons. 
Asmodeus made a point to build Tabjari around the ruby, such that physically moving it through any doors or hallways is impossible. A person could tap into the lawful powers of the pack primeval. The creature needs to speak a 300-word passage in an ancient celestial tongue to do so. Once you tap into the pack primeval, you cannot do so again for 9 years. Your melee weapons and area effect spells will do more damage to chaotic planar creatures. You gain a better understanding of laws and proceedings, while also developing a specific charisma bonus when speaking in such matters of law. These effects last for 99 days. The Ruby Rod is spelled out in 3rd edition's Book of the Vile Darkness and 3.5's Tyrant of the Nine Hells. The gem it is made from is thought to be worth 1 million gold on its own before even considering the enchantments upon it. It is a plus 6 great club with the unholy trait. Anyone struck by the Ruby Rod suffers from a critical wound spell cast by a 20th level spellcaster. Those who touch the Ruby Rod without Asmodeus' permission suffer from the same critical wound spell. The Rod can cast out various evocation effects, a line of acid, a line of lightning, and a cone of cold. Anyone attempting to strike the wielder of the Ruby Rod needs to make a will save or bow down helplessly for a round. Finally, the Rod grants the ability to manifest a spherical wall of force around the wielder while sending out an anti-magic field from the sphere. Over three rounds, the wielder is rid of all negative effects and is healed fully. When Asmodeus made the Ruby Rod, the Rod was, quote, bathed in the blood of a thousand mortal sacrifices, quenched in Tiamat's acidic drool, and polished with the tears of 777 angels. Running along its length are the spelled-out names of good-aligned gods and celestials, but these names are spelled in reverse. The names are then filled in with dried and stained blood. The butt end of the rod is jagged, almost as if Asmodeus broke it off from perhaps even a larger piece of ruby. The top of the rod is carved to resemble a clawed fist holding onto a skull. The ruby rod always gives off a dull red glow. This glow becomes bright when powers of the rod are tapped into. The entity who wields the ruby rod has eyes that resemble the color of the rod. Following that are some thematically appropriate magic items from official 5th edition sources I feel the faith of Asmodeus might have access to. From the Dungeon Master's Guide. Armor of Radiant Resistance. Candle of Invocation. Cape of the Maltebank. Flame Tongue. The Leadership Iwoon Stone. Mace of Terror. Necklace of Fireballs, Potion of Radiant Resistance, Ring of Radiant Resistance, Rod of Lordly Might, Rod of Rulership, Scroll of Protection from Celestials, Scroll of Protection from Fiends, Staff of Fire, Talisman of Ultimate Evil, Tome of Leadership and Influence. From Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, a reskinned Rakdos Guild Signet, in a reflavored Rakdos right knife. From Descent into Avernus, the Battle Standard of Infernal Power, Gauntlets of Flaming Fury, Hellfire Weapon, Helm of Devil Command, Infernal Puzzle Box, and Soul Coins. From the Book of Many Things, the Rod of Hellish Flames. From Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, plus one to plus three Amulet of the Devout, 
and the Radiant Absorbing Tattoo. For Mordekainen's Tome of Foes, Infernal Tack. From Glory of the Giants, The Lash of Immolation. Then, from Santhar's Guide to Everything, Armor of Gleaming, Dark Shard Amulet, Dreadhelm, and Smoldering Armor. Thank you for listening to Religion in the Realms. If you're interested in keeping up with the release of future episodes, you can follow the podcast Twitter account at Realms Religion. Audio versions of the podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play Podcasts. These episodes are also uploaded to YouTube as well. My contact information is found in the episode description. In the next episode, I will be covering Joaquin, the neutral goddess of trade and wealth. Until next time, may Timor look kindly upon your dice rolls, Helm protect you, and Lathander light your path. Music for this episode. Gloom Horizon by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0